I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. So join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to the sort of second episode, sort of 206th episode of Quilting for the Rest of Us. Today is Sunday, December 26, 2021, Boxing Day for some folks, the day after Christmas for some others, and just another day on the calendar for some others. Whatever day it is for you, I hope you're having a really good one. And again, welcome to episode 206, in which we talk about the unsung heroes of notions and a few other things. So first of all, as I mentioned in my last episode, um, I've had a few days off and I've got the rest of this week off as well. Um, just having some relaxing time, although the days leading up to Christmas Day for me and my house, we do celebrate Christmas, is never quite as relaxing as just pure vacation. Um, I had some issues with... <laughs> I hadn't really thought I was going to talk about this, but clearly it was traumatic and I must loose it from my soul. Um, I was, I had volunteered to make desserts for uh, Christmas dinner, which was over at my brother-in-law's and sister-in-law's house. And I had decided I would make a gingerbread bunt cake and that I would make a chocolate bunt cake. Um, but as I was on Amazon buying a new bunt cake pan, because I have no idea where mine got off to, I haven't used it in many, many years, and it's gone. I think it ran away to find a home where it would be happier. But in any case, I had to buy a bunt can pan and um, found a second pan that was more like uh, kind of a cupcake style pan with a bunch of mini bunts in it. And I just thought it was adorable. And I thought, wouldn't it be cute? I'll make the gingerbread one for the adults. And then I'll make um, these little chocolate bunt things for, there's two children. One is four and one is two, almost two. And I thought, well, they will probably prefer the chocolate. And wouldn't it be cute to make them little bite-sized bunts of their own? And then when I got the actual bunt pan, it was not just a mini bunt, it was a micro mini bunt. <laughs> it was like those really, the mini cupcake pans you can get. I, you know, that's the problem with buying stuff online. I can read dimensions. You would think I'm a quilter, I would know better. Um, somehow I translated everything that it described on Amazon for this mini bunt pan as being somewhat larger than it turned out to be. But I thought, okay, soldier on, I'll just make micro mini bunts and, you know, the kids can have three or four instead of just one. Um, so I did the gingerbread in the, the main bunt pan I had bought first, Nordic Wear, beautiful, nice, heavy bunt uh, pan. And I did get a slightly simpler design just to make sure that it would, I'd have better luck actually getting it out of the pan. And the gingerbread went beautifully. And it just popped right out of that pan and it was gorgeous and it filled me with all sorts of confidence I had no right in having. Um, <laughs> so then I got to the chocolate ones and uh, overfilled them the first time and they all baked into each other. So when I pulled it out of the oven, it was just this mass of chocolate on the top. 
And then I tried to let it cool, tried to just trim that off, tried to, it just was not going to come out of those pans. So I ended up dumping that whole pan worth and deciding, okay, I'll just make cupcakes. I made cupcakes, uh, used paper, um, you know, the paper cupcake liners, and it still stuck to the pan and they still fell apart. I think part of it is the, the chocolate recipe I used, although a bunt cake recipe it's excellent. Oh, it tastes so good, but it's super, super, super moist. And I think that's just going to make it much more finicky getting out of the pan. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So that was all on Friday. Um, and so I decided, okay, we'll just go with the uh, gingerbread. Maybe I'll bring these sort of decimated chocolate cupcakes that had survived all of this I thought I just put some frosting on them. Nobody will ever notice that they're pretty rough around the edges. But then, of course, Christmas Day, I got up and I was like, dang it, I'm going to beat this thing. I will win. And so I made it another batter of the chocolate bunt uh, recipe using up all the remaining ingredients I had. So there was no turning back from this one and baked it in the bunt pan. And that sucker was just not going to come out. I tried every trick I could find on the internet. I steamed it with a damp, hot, damp cloth. I let it cool, um, sitting right side up the first time, then sitting down, you know, sitting upside down the second time. It just wasn't coming out. Um, and so finally, I took a spatula and I was very carefully trying to kind of edge it out around. And no, it just disintegrated. So that bunt cake turned into a trifle. <laughs> of sorts. I made, I had the stuff to make homemade whipped cream. So I just layered the cake with the cake pieces with whipped cream. And I didn't even have, it would have been pretty good if I'd had strawberries. Didn't have any, wasn't going to try to go to a grocery store on Christmas day. Um, but I did have some mini chocolate chips I threw in there just to be interesting. And then sprinkled a little red sugar on the top to make it look festive. <laughs> and it looked good. I don't know. By then, I wasn't even going to taste it anymore. I was so done with this thing. Um, and, you know, we had, it was a very nice dinner. We had nice desserts. I was overly concerned about how these desserts had turned out. <laughs> it, was, it was a thing. So we got home and I dumped the rest of the chocolate that was left over down the sink because I just wasn't going to deal with it anymore. And then I think we still have gingerbread around, but I don't actually like gingerbread. I made it because my husband really likes it you know, sacrifice for me, also assuming that meant I wouldn't eat the rest of the, <laughs> the cake, which is better for me anyway. So that was my sad baking story. And now you know that it's not just quilting I can mess up. <laughs> it's also baking. Cooking, I'm pretty good. Baking can sometimes be a little hit or miss for me. Only when I try to get fancy. If I stick to basic stuff, I'm pretty good. Uh, in any case, Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> I'm so glad that's all over. Um, now it's just me and my sewing machine the rest of the week. My husband and I have a couple of plans to go out for dinner one night. Um, my kids are both working this week, so I will have a fair amount of time just for myself and my sewing machine. So let's get on to sewing. Uh, Thursday, while I was baking, I was sort of doing, th or Thursday, I'm sorry, I wasn't baking on Thursday. Thursday, I did spend two or three hours in my sewing room, much of which had to be spent to begin with cleaning off my cutting table as tends to happen when we're not using it. Um, mostly though, it was kind of fun cleaning off because I had found some 
fabrics. Okay, so those of you who used to listen to my podcast in the olden days know that I was really into hand dyeing for a while. Well, after it sat in my basement not being touched for several years, uh, last winter when I decided, you know, during the pandemic, I really wanted a workout area in the basement. And the best way to make room for that was to ditch the hand dye studio I would set up in one corner. Um, and all of the paint dyes have a shelf life. And most of the paints and everything I had have a shelf life. So I ended up dumping all of it. Uh, the only thing I kept were the actual containers and things that I could just clean out and keep and use later. So that if I ever do, you know, when I retire, ever get back into hand dyeing, I've still got all the equipment. I just need to buy the dyes. Um, but in cleaning that out, I did find some black and white fabric I had been keeping down there with the intent of either over dyeing it or um, using it for painting, uh, fabric painting. One of them is a really cool kind of abstract open pattern that's just black lines on white fabric. And I still think it would be gorgeous to paint it. But, you know, that's probably not going to happen for another 10 years. So um, got all that and pressed it out and folded it up and got that back into my stash. There was only four or five pieces, so it wasn't a lot of pieces. Uh, but the other thing I'd done, I don't know any of you who are scrap quilters and just periodically like to refresh your scraps with um, new-to-you fabrics, or if you want to do uh, scrap quilting and haven't actually accumulated a lot of scraps yet. Um, I'm of the former, not the latter. I like to, you know, I've just, I've gotten kind of bored with my fabric because I haven't been buying new fabric in a while. So decided this would be an easy way to refresh it. Um, if you go to southernfabric.com, and I will put the link in the show notes, uh, they are the only, I shouldn't say the only, they are the first fabric shop I have found um, that sells good scrap bags. There are some other ones that used to, but I don't see them so often. Other ones are a little bit hit and miss. Sometimes they have them, sometimes they don't. But southernfabric.com does have uh, a few different scrap um, scrap bag, scrap purchase options. So one that I bought was uh, five yards worth or 10 half yards of fabric. And it's called the Rainbow Scrap Bag. And I believe I paid about $33-ish for it, not counting shipping. Um, that's just for the price. So it comes to about $6.50 a yard, which is a pretty good price because it's high-quality fabric. A lot of it is Moda, some other, um, some other designers in there. Uh, it is, you know, it's fabric. Some of it is fabric I probably wouldn't have chosen off the shelves myself, but that's okay uh, because, you know, scraps and scrap quilting. And you probably have heard the saying that there is no such thing as an ugly fabric. You just haven't cut it small enough yet. Uh, so I got these 10 half yards, pressed them all out there in my um, stash. Again, it's just nice for me to see some new fabrics in there because I've been eyeing the same. Some of the fabrics in my stash have been there, you know, probably 15, 20 years since I first started quilting. Um, yeah. That's kind of depressing to think about now that I've said that out loud. Okay, reel it back in. Um, so that was one scrap bag that I uh, was putting back into my stash. And the other one I had bought at the same time is a Moda scrap bag, again, from Southern Fabric. And it's 10 to 12 ounces worth of scraps. 
and they say that all of the scraps will be two to three inches wide. Now I've gotten this bag of scraps before and all the strips I got were basically strips of fabric. This time it was all the selvage edges. I have never really intended to make a selvage scrap quilt before. And I really thought at first, I was like, oh, geez, I don't want any of these. I'm going to have to trim the selvages off just to see. I measured, I get about an inch and a half of fabric before the selvage edge. So I could easily uh, cut those all and use them. I do have plans to do like a log cabin and a pineapple quilt. Those tend to have one and a half inch strips. But then this morning I was having my coffee. I way overslept this morning, which felt so good. But I was having my coffee and just giving myself a slow morning. And decided to go onto Pinterest and looked up selvage edge quilts, because I know they're a thing, people do them. And I did actually find a couple of prints that, or a couple of patterns that I did like um, that I thought were kind of cute. So I just have to decide. Yeah, I just have to make some decisions. I'm not uh, sweating that right now. I just kind of put them away and got them off of my cutting table. Uh, we'll see. You know, let me know if you've ever made a selvage edge quilt. You know, what were your feelings about it? Or just give me your opinions. You've seen patterns that you just really love. Share them with me because, you know, you might pull me over to that side. I will admit um, Charlotte of Scrapitude Quilts. Uh, some of you may remember she did her very first scrap mystery quilt here on this podcast and on my blog because I was working on her to get her to do it herself and she wasn't comfortable doing it herself yet. So I offered up my podcast and blog and now she's been doing it on her, on her own since then. She has a great website. Um, she does a mystery quilt every year. People love doing them. I will try to remind myself to put a link to her site again in my show notes, but you will find her elsewhere on my website if I forget to do it. And then you will also find her in Facebook. And I am going down a bunny trail here, but we love Charlotte's quilts. But I remember when I was first getting to know her and saying at one point in Guild, I wasn't really a scrap quilter. I hadn't seen too many scrap quilts I really liked. And she pulled me over to the dark side of scrap quilting. Um, I, I was able to start figuring out what it was about the scrap quilts I had seen that I didn't like and what kind of scrap quilts I do like. And now I'm fully on board with the whole scrap thing. I've done several scrap quilts. And in fact, the one I'm working on now, the Storm at Sea, is pretty much a scrap quilt. So back to my life. I did one of the four goals I said y'all were supposed to nag me about, which, by the way, you were all too nice. Nobody nagged me but I've been making progress anyway. I did clean up the Jelly Roll Race quilt uh, that I had on my goals, one of the things I wanted to get done this week. I just had to trim off the edges so that they were straight, and now it's hanging on my design wall while I ponder the border question. Do I want to put a border on this or not? Would a border make me like it better or not? <laughs> these are the things we have to think about when it comes to a quilt. What will actually make us like it? Uh, to remind you, I think I mentioned this last time, again, it is a Jelly Roll race quilt. It's pretty much the, the standard, you know, you just sew the, the strips end end until you end up with a, one whole quilt. This variation I did though, I cut two and a half inch squares and I sewed them in between every one of the strips. So it took me a little bit longer to sew the strips together because I had to get those in there first. I was hoping that having the two and a half inch squares, which were all one 
fabric. So they're one solid color kind of dancing through. I was hoping it would make it a little more attractive to me, a little more interesting, and it just uh, doesn't really do it. But I've made two other Jelly World race quilts before. Um, gave them to my sister and her husband, who has unfortunately now passed. Um, and they loved them, absolutely loved them, thought they were the prettiest thing because they were really kind of looking at the colors. And one of those I had to put a border on because I really didn't like it, and the border did help it. The other one I didn't put a border on at all, and once I bound it, it looked quite nice. It was very pretty colors. Uh, so that's why I'm really thinking about this one. Does it need a border? Or does it not? If it does need a border, I am going to have to do some shopping because I have nothing in my stash that would work with the colorway. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, and one of the other things I had thought about was maybe starting another quilt, another Jelly Roll quilt. And I did. I chose a pattern from the book Jelly Roll Quilts in a Weekend by Pam and Nikki Lintot. Again, my longtime listeners will know I'm a Lintot Girls fan, and um, I've done a few of their designs. And so this one, it's it's actually, it's kind of cheating for me to use a pattern because it's a, a very kind of traditional scrap quilt pattern out there. I've seen it called a variety of things, but it's, um, oh, probably no way I can actually describe it to you visually. It's four, four patches together, so you've got 16 patches uh, all two and a half inch squares and then little triangles coming out of each of the compass points and then a solid background if that describes it for you I have always loved that design don't know why it's so basic but it's just I think adorable and I've always wanted to do it and so um, because I don't like doing math or having to do much of anything myself I <laughs> am using their pattern for it uh, the problem is I had chosen one of the jelly roll uh, jelly rolls that I have in my stash that had these really nice kind of fun bright colors I thought well that would be really sweet in that design but then once I unrolled it and started working with the fabrics um, <laughs> I realized that the jelly roll I had chosen is called something like blenders and backgrounds and so it's all either tone on tone or very small print which are great when mixed in with other things, but I think if I only used that jelly roll in this quilt, it would be a bit of a yawn fest. So all I did was I pulled out all of this, um, all of the strips that will make the triangle units, the, the four point compass corners, those are all gonna be reds and pinks. So that'll be kind of my continuous color going throughout. And then I've got to go into my stash and just, swap out some strips um, so that I've got more prints and more interesting things going on with that. Uh, so that is something I will be working on this week. In fact, I might look at the strips tonight after I'm done with uh, this podcast episode because I am pretty much done sewing for the day. Um, so that's kind of what I did Thursday. And then, of course, Friday I was uh, baking. And so I didn't do as much in the sewing room. I did do a little bit here and there. Uh, basically, I just kept working on the storm at sea, and I did manage to get one whole unit done. Um, I think I described this at one point again, the, the storm at sea block, I'm only doing the single sash, not the double. So it's um, basically four units make up this one block. And so I've got 
entirely one unit entirely done uh, that I did on Sunday or sorry, Friday, I had to cut 30 extra pieces um, and did manage to get those cut and then uh, finished sewing them all together. It was helpful because those 30 pieces were the triangle pieces around the outside. And when I measured that piece on the die, the Storm at Sea block die, I realized I could actually cut them all from a two and a half inch strip. So I had two two and a half inch uh, strips in my stash that matched what I needed. Um, I mean, it was literally cutting it close, RRR, because <laughs> what I really needed was like a two and three eighths triangle was kind of what was getting cut in half. So it was just barely big enough, but it was, uh, I think. I, you know, I don't think I cut any of them short, <laughs> so I did get, and I, as it turns out, I, again, I don't know what was going on, but I cut what I thought was maybe 32 and I ended up with a whole lot extra. So I don't know where I counted wrong, but so I got that unit done. I don't care if I have extras. Today I went through and, um, I'm working on the second unit and the unit two and unit three are the same unit. They just are um, made they're set in different directions and so I'm just doing those kind of at the same time and when I sat down and count the centers for all of those I realized once again 30 off so there must be something about the way I was reading the cutting directions for the block itself that I wasn't putting enough pieces over that one unit or something um, in any case I, right now I haven't worried it because those I will actually need a piece of fabric to get that size uh, unit out or piece out. So that's a job for tomorrow. Meanwhile, I did get about half of one of those two units completely sewn. Um, fortunately, it, this one is a, a little bit trickier because it's a diamond in the middle with four corner pieces. And so you've got to get those corner pieces on in the right direction. It's a little bit, it, it's far easier to mess up <laughs> than the first unit was. Um, and I am so proud of myself. I only messed up one. I only sewed one going in the wrong direction. So I only had to unsew one piece. And then the only other unsewing I had to do was when I was pressing out the units, there were two units that I discovered I had picked up two pieces of fabric and sewn it on rather than just one piece of fabric and sewn it together. Uh, so that was, you know, a couple pieces I had to get rid of an extra wing flapping in the breeze. Um, so all in all, I considered a very successful day when I sewed for about three and a half hours straight and only had to unsew three small seams. That's a good day for sewing. So that's that's where I am with the storm at sea, quite pleased with my progress. And if I stick to it, boy, I should be at the point of being able to actually be piecing blocks together, like putting them together into rows or chunking them as um, Jay of Art Quilter fame always talks about. Uh, I think I'm going to probably, I don't know how I'm going to do it because I don't have any design space big enough anywhere to actually lay this quilt out. So I'm going to have to just be sewing it together by the numbers. Um, in my design, I designed it in EQ to make sure I had the right number of blocks and everything. So I'm just going to have to count. This is how many blocks I have to have in any one place. So, you know, we know how I do with math. <laughs> we'll see how well that goes. That's a problem for another day. Right now, I've just got to get all the units on. 
Um, I thought it might be kind of fun uh, to talk a little bit. I often do reviews of quilt products and all of that kind of thing because I am a gadget girl. So if there's a gadget on the market, chances are I've had it, tried it, either use it regularly or realized it just was not all that much. Um, but sometimes there's things that we use all the time or that we are we use now and we're so sorry we hadn't found them years and years ago uh, that are kind of the unsung heroes. These are not the kinds of things you're going to see, you know, splashing at the uh, quilt market or, or whatever. Although one of these you will. So my unsung heroes, I'm calling them, of the quilting notion world of the week that I am really happy I have right now. Um, a few years ago, I bought myself a felted wool pressing mat. Um, they first kind of hit the scene. Well, you know, it feels like it was just a few years ago. It was probably like 10. I don't know when they first came on the scene, but felted wool pressing mats, you can get them in a number of uh, sizes. I know, and they're, they're really thick. So they're the thick gray ones. And I know it's easy to say that's money I don't want to spend. I think I was looking it up to get the link, and I will put a link to one of them from Amazon. You can buy them at a lot of quilt shops and such. I want to say I probably spent about 20 to $25 for my larger one, and then maybe 10 or 12 I have a small, a little one that I sit next to my sewing machine, particularly at quilt retreats where I'm just pressing edges, uh, seams as I go. They are fantastic. The, the two things they do, one is they hold your pieces in place. They're not sliding back and forth under the iron. That wool just grips those pieces, so it holds them right in place. Particularly helpful when you're working with tri uh, triangles, anything with a bias edge. You put it on that mat and it's sticking. You, it's making sure that you're not going to stretch it, or at least it tries to help you not stretch it out. It also basically presses both sides at the same time because it lets the heat penetrate kind of I, I'm not I'm sorry I'm really tired the day after Christmas it was a long day yesterday uh, so I'm not coming up with words but it, it really um, mostly what I like is that it does hold it in place but it gives it a really solid press you can also pin to it, so if you need to block something out to size, you can actually kind of measure out on the felted wool pat mat, maybe even draw some lines if you want to with chalk, and then pin your block to where it needs to be, and then um, press it out that way. I've also used it when I was working on my embroidery blocks and needed to press out after I'd done the embroidery. I did still put a towel under there because I was kind of nervous, but you can feasibly just put the the embroidery upside down on that felted wool mat to press it because when you're pressing embroidery you want it to you want the embroidery to stay raised a little bit you don't want to actually mush it down with the iron so you need to flip it over onto either a towel or you know of one of these wool mats or something where the embroidery has somewhere to go when you're pressing it so it doesn't get totally flattened so I just absolutely love this thing. I've been using it. My units for the Storm at Sea have a ton of bias edges. Um, so I've just loved kind of having the security that this uh, felted wool pressing mat gives me. Um, and then the other thing that I use with it, because I am a bit of a heat wuss, I <laughs> my fingers do not handle heat 
well, just ask my husband. He often teases me about this because there's a lot of things in the kitchen I have him come over and touch for me because my fingers just get too hot. Um, okay, that probably sounds like there's more interesting of a backstory there than there is. <laughs> just, we'll just move on. Um, the other thing I have that I, I want to highly recommend if you don't already own them are finger protectors for pressing. Now, a lot of people call these finger cots, C-O-T-S. I actually looked up, it, it's something a little bit different. Finger cots look like another type of thing that I won't describe on this podcast in case there's any children listening. Um, let's just call it a preventative membrane um, that you actually kind of roll onto your finger. These are actually good, thick, silicone, kind of deep finger protectors that you slide on, they come down past um, your knuckle. They're sold a lot in uh, like scrapbooking for scrapbookers and such because people use them when they're using hot glue guns. I use a fair amount of steam, especially when I'm using this felted wool mat. And so I just, I kept steaming, burning my fingers with the steam. And so now I've got these finger protectors and I'm able to really go through and do a lot of stuff without my fingers, you know, I used to have to stop because my fingers would get so sore and now I can just go through the whole thing and not have to worry about it. So those are kind of my two unsung heroes, the felted wool pressing mat and finger protectors for pressing. And I will put um, links on my show notes uh, for both of those things. Uh, a quick note about show notes and um, all of the uh, RSS feeds going off to all the places they're supposed to go off to. Uh, that's been a common uh, conversation on the Twilters Facebook page, as well as on my own Facebook page uh, for Quilting for the Rest of Us. I am still working on getting the feed reinstated on iTunes. Um, and it says it could take anywhere between five days and two weeks. So we're needing to be patient for that. For some reason, Google still won't let me post the feed. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I even fixed it on my end. There was something I needed to fix on my end, and I still can't get it through. Um, I may just have to bag it and hope that you're using other podcast feeds. And I know it's active on Stitcher. I was told that it was active in a couple of other places. I am, I've submitted it to Spotify. Haven't heard back on that yet. So you know, it's it's coming. I'm sorry. I hope you're still able to find it. And we'll just have to, to keep working on it. But so far, so good. I am glad to actually be posting my second in a row podcast episode. I do plan on doing another one the end of this week so I can report back on everything I've got going. And then when I go back to work, I'm going to have to figure out what my best schedule is. I used to in the olden days, podcast every Sunday afternoon or evening, and um, it's unlikely I'm going to be able to keep doing that um, in this new world. I'm probably going to have to choose a different day to do it, so I've just got to kind of figure that stuff out, working on it. So I am very much looking forward to hearing from you again. Um, I've asked you a few questions in this episode. I really hope you respond to at least some of them. Looking for ideas around selvage quilts and letting me know what your unsung heroes are of the notions world. Um, and I guess that's it. So you know how you can get a hold of me. 
You can leave comments on the show notes of this episode at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash quiltingfortherestofus. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at sandyquilts, or you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 